Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Chanel Lindsay, just past midnight. Saturday, June 1st, 2019, Dallas, Texas. Warning, the following episode you're about to listen to will contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. Last hour, Dallas police, the chief going on record saying that a body that was pulled from White Rock Lake over the weekend was that of a transgender woman. That is now the second murder of a transgender in a month. Add a sense of concern in the city's black transgender community. Robbie Owens live at police headquarters with the top story at five. Robbie? Well, Gilman, Doug, Chief Hall telling us just moments ago that the department is now calling in the FBI to assist in investigating these murders, that of Malaysia Booker just a couple of weeks ago, and of the body found in White Rock Lake just this weekend. Well, we are investigating that as a homicide at this time. Is there evidence backing that, or are you just doing that? Obvious signs of homicidal violence uh, is what we found. The chief is asking everyone to take a look at this picture. Uh, born Jason Hazlitt, she was known in the transgender community as Chanel Lindsay. A passerby spotted her body at White Rock on Saturday. Police today now confirming they are investigating four unsolved murders of black transgender women dating back to 2015. Another was assaulted but survived. Now, Chief Hall today stopped short of saying the department is dealing with a serial killer, but those in the transgender community are clearly afraid. I spoke with Jasmine today, who attended this press conference. I asked her if acceptance was what she was seeking. Not, do I got to ask to be human? I'm born, I'm human. I'm in the flesh like y'all. I'm just asking to respect me and to don't bother me in my everyday life. I'm not messing with you or doing anything. I'm not asking or forcing myself on anybody. I'm just trying to be me. Telling me she just wants to be heard. That community, though, clearly afraid. Some in that community feel that there is a serial killer targeting this community. Chief Hall today saying another reason that she wants the FBI to assist with this case is that she acknowledged the lack of resources in the department, that they are down some 500 officers from where they were some years ago. There are lots of questions, lots of answers that need to be provided, and she believes that the FBI will be able to provide this community some of those answers. 
allegations specifically related to a motive and whether these murders are hate crimes. Of course, we will continue to follow this developing story. It's Saturday, June 1st, 2019, in the city of Dallas, Texas. It would be the home where a 26-year-old African-American transgender female, Chanel Lindsay, would reside. And on that Saturday, when she disappeared and her family couldn't get a hold of her, they became suspicious. However, around the same time as they became alarmed of her Saturday afternoon disappearance, they realized that they weren't the only ones who were worried. A passerby by the name of Calvin Torrance was out at White Rock Lake in Dallas, along with his two boys. They were out having a good time and enjoying themselves. When all of a sudden, Calvin spotted something in the lake floating up. And as he and his boys went closer to the lake, what they discovered will leave the city of Dallas devastated for years to come. Welcome, my audience. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide. This episode is entangled with attraction, lust, identity, you name it, and ultimately murder. This case really includes just a lot of self-discovery, within Chanel's journey, learning about her and learning about her life has been such an incredible privilege. And today's episode is going to talk about, you know, just the identity of the perpetrator, um, 22-year-old cisgendered male, Ruben Alvarado, and then also just the trial as well as remarks from loved ones especially that of cousin and family spokesperson Tamaya Lindsay. So my audience, we're going to go ahead and jump in and get into this episode, season 13, episode 11, just past midnight, the murder of Chanel Lindsay. So again, it all began if we go back to Cinco de Mayo of 2019. 22-year-old cisgender Latino male Ruben Alvarado met 26-year-old African-American transgender female Chanel Lindsay on a dating app. The two had hit it off, found each other to be mutually attractive, and began a series of conversations. Those conversations entailed just day-to-day of just, how are you? I would like to get to know you, spend some time with you in person. And from what we understand, Chanel and Ruben had met once before. However, there wasn't um, a sexual component to their first encounter, nothing more than like just a little bit of kissing. However, the second encounter, which occurred just past midnight on that Saturday, June 1st of 2019, that would be where everything would begin to unfold. Ruben, who was entranced by Chanel and her beauty and her brilliance, He was ready to meet up with her again. The two who had already met up around Cinco de Mayo, he was enthusiastically messaging her and he had called her um, just past midnight on June 1st. And the two were gonna meet up in his red Ford Explorer where and go to his apartment back over in Mesquite 
um, Texas, which is where he was from. So they had already made these arrangements to, to meet up with each other and connect. And so just past midnight, Ruben Alvarado calls Chanel Lindsay. She comes out of her home. The call lasts for about 40 seconds. And they head over to Rock, uh, White um, Rock Lake. And this should have been an innocent, you know, young adult encounter between two consenting adults who were attracted to each other. That is how it should have occurred. However, what happens next will leave yourself as well as even me speechless. Well, this all is unfolding. The events is going to be leading up. Ruben discovers, according to him, that Chanel identifies as a transgender woman. Then he attacks her with a blunt force object, beats her throughout her entire body, and then he takes his belt from off of his pants after he's beat her into unconsciousness, takes his belt and wraps it around her neck, dumping her body into White Rock Lake all just past midnight on June 1st of 2019. So by that afternoon, by that afternoon of that Saturday, June 1st, 2019, Chanel's family who had not heard from her since that early morning hours when she went left off, immediately became alarmed because of the fact that this was not like her. This was not like this 26-year-old vivacious transgender female who was just full of life and had so much going for her in Dallas, Texas. And so again, all of this is starting to unfold while Chanel's family is beginning to become alarmed and contemplating if they should file a missing persons report. Calvin Torrance, a 41-year-old cisgendered male, and his two sons were out at White Rock Lake by 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Several hours had passed since Ruben Alvarado had committed the hateful homicide of Chanel Lindsay. He had plenty of time to leave the scene of the crime where it was in the, the pitch black of night besides his headlights gleaming as he drove away leaving Chanel's body to float to the bottom of the lake. However, by that afternoon when Calvin and his boys were out having a good Saturday fun day, what he noticed, he noticed what he thought was a mannequin, my audience. He was a little concerned. So he and his oldest son, who was a teenager, wanted to make sure that if it was someone that they weren't in distress, they go over. And when they discover Chanel's body bloated and with a belt wrapped around her neck, it would leave them completely speechless. Calvin calls 911 and a Dallas Police Department is immediately rushed out to White Rock Lake. Detective Erica Page and Chief Renee Hall are the first two on the scene, trying to figure out exactly first the identity of this beautiful black trans female, not knowing her identity as there was no um, ID on her. What they would ultimately have to do is to get the forensics team in, which would include that of Greg Gambrell. They all would begin to do fingerprint analysis as well as um, digital media um, analysis of the cell phone that was left along the um, embankment of the lake. So they assumed that this cell phone could have possibly been Chanel Lindsay's. And once they taken her body back to the Dallas coroner's office where James 
you know, um, James Henry Hawkins, the coroner um, of Dallas, he went in and he ultimately described Chanel's injuries of those of strangulation and blunt force trauma throughout her entire body. Once the fingerprint analysis came back to that of 26-year-old transgender female Chanel Lindsay, her family was immediately notified. That included her mother and other relatives, leaving them completely blindsided and devastated. The family who had kept in touch with Chanel um, knew that they would hear from her periodically. And typically she would touch bases with them on Saturdays. So by that Saturday afternoon when her mother had not heard from her, even though they didn't reside together, this was a cause for concern. And so again, now that you have James Henry Hawkins, the coroner who has made a positive identity of that Ben Chanel Lindsay, Detective Erica Page and Chief Renee Hall goes to the home of Chanel's mother and makes that death notification, leaving that family completely devastated. And one of those family members who was completely devastated and became the family spokesperson was Tamaya Lewis, Tamaya Lindsay, excuse me. Tamaya Lindsay would be a huge advocate for her cousin, always concerned for her safety and recalled an incident or um, a, 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 an event where they had saw each other. And she recalled being concerned um, if she was going to see Chanel again. And all of these things unfortunately led to the reality of them not being able to see the lovely Chanel um, back with them again. The family is devastated, distraught, and of course they want to know who murdered Chanel. And so Detective Erica Page and Chief uh, Renee Hall were determined to get those answers. So they reach out to, again, that digital and media specialist um, and forensics team member, Gary Gambrell, and he was able to trace Chanel's phone to a phone number that had called her just past midnight on Saturday, just a few hours earlier um, before her body was discovered. And they were able to trace that number back to a cisgendered male by the name of Ruben Alvarado of Mystique, Texas. My audience, Trace and Ruben would be easier said than done. It would take almost three weeks before Ruben would be apprehended. He would officially be arrested on June 20th of 2019, three weeks after the hateful homicide of Chanel Lindsay. But before all of this was discovered, right, they were still wanting uh, the family of Chanel Lindsay wanted answers. They wanted to know who was responsible for this hateful homicide. Again, they were, you know, still trying to figure out, wrapping their head around the fact that Chanel was no longer going to be coming home. She wasn't going to be making those Saturday phone calls. And so they were seeking justice and wanting to know who killed their cousin, who killed their daughter, who committed this hateful homicide. And so they were seeking answers and seek the media's help for that woman found dead in White Rock Lake is now urging anybody with information to please come forward. Her murder is now the third in just eight months involving transgender women. Only on CBS 11, the victim's family spoke to our Andrea Lucia. Andrea is joining us live tonight at Dallas's White Rock Lake. Andrea. 
Yeah, Deb, the cousin I spoke to said she had been worrying about the victim. She says for the past year, her family hasn't known where she's been living or even how to contact her. But she says one thing is certain, Chanel Lindsay was loved. And the discovery of her body here on White Rock Lake has devastated family members who had already lost her once before. He was one of those people to know him as something. To know him would be to love him. After nearly a lifetime apart, Demaya Lindsay says she was reunited five years ago with her cousin Jason, who had been placed for adoption as a young child. He was just smiling, smiling, smiling. He was just so excited to see us. He lived with her and other family members, but after a while, she says he began to struggle with drugs and moved out. It was around the same time, she says, her cousin began identifying as a trans woman, taking the name Chanel Lindsay. This is him when he came into the store. Several months ago, her cousin visited her at work, meeting her co-workers. And they were like, man, she loves you so much, you know, and I just broke down and cried because I kept saying, I don't know when the la this, this is the last time that I'm going to see you. It would be Saturday. Dallas police say they recovered Chanel's body from White Rock Lake. There were signs, Chief Renee Hall said, of homicidal violence. We are actively and aggressively investigating this case. The department now has four unsolved murders involving transgender women, three within just the last year, and all of them African-American. Tamaya is now left wondering who could have ripped her cousin out of her life again. If this was a hate crime, shame on you. <laughs> well, these murders have members of the transgender community here in Dallas really frightened. I spoke to a trans woman who attended the chief's press conference today to ask her personally what is being done. Uh, the chief responded that police are working closely with leaders within the LGBT community to try to improve the safety. And as you could hear, Tamaya Lindsay, the cousin of Chanel, the family spokesperson, fondly recalled, you know, Chanel being brought into their family, times that they spent together, living together, the last encounter that they shared. And you could hear the angst and the heartache in her voice as she's still trying to wrap her head around the fact that Chanel has been abruptly taken away from them through the act of a hateful homicide. One of the things to my audience, as you could hear in the audio, was that there has been this question posed of a serial killer. There have been several black trans women murdered brutally um, from April until about July of 2019 in the city of Dallas. And so because these murders were so like in rapid succession, there was a question as to whether they were by the hands of the same individual. So again, was Ruben Alvarado responsible for all of the other hateful homicides of these other black trans women? Was this his M.O.? Well, my audience, that is what we're going to find out. But before we do, I want to dive into a little bit more about Chanel Lindsay. Born in 1992, Chanel Lindsay was a native of Arlington, Texas, and described as someone who had an infectious smile, laugh, she loved to giggle. She was a huge lover of animals. Her favorite animals were bunnies and gerbils. And then she also was an aspiring mechanic. Yeah, you heard me correctly, an aspiring mechanic. 
Chanel loved cars, fast cars, and all types of cars. And so when she began her gender journey around 2016, just three years before her hateful homicide at the age of 23, she was really empowered in her truth. She began her social journey and even had began her medical journey. And though she was still finding her way through in 2019, Chanel had so much to look forward to. She was looking forward to that summer. Um, she was getting ready to plan, you know, an incredible pride event in Dallas. She wanted to attend, which would have been coming up as pride season was beginning. She was also looking forward to just Father's Day and spending time with her loved ones for Father's Day, which was also coming up in June of 2019. So all of these things that she was looking forward to um, was abruptly ended. And again, she was very close to her cousin, Tamaya Lindsay, and um, they both shared quite quite the times together. And so again, this has just left the family completely devastated. And again, with all of these other beautiful black trans women being murdered within several months of each other, and as we've covered before, we do have to wonder, was this the case of a serial killer? And the case in this case, my audience, is that no. Uh, they discovered that each of these black trans women had been murdered by four different individuals, which is concerning within itself because that means you have four cis men who went out and murdered four trans women just for being trans. And one of the things that Detective Erica Page, as well as, excuse me, Detective Erica King, as well as um, Chief Renee Hall wanted to understand was who was responsible for the murder of Chanel Lindsay? And again, once, you know, their partner, Gary Gambrell, was able to give that digital and media evidence supporting the fact that Chanel Lindsay's last phone call, last series of text messages was all with Ruben Alvarado. He was really kind of, besides touching base with her family and, and her close friends, he was kind of that quote-unquote consistent partner that she had been communicating with from single de mayo may 5th of 2019 until june 1st that saturday of her hateful homicide and so they were able to also ping both alvarado's phone and Lindsay's phone to white rock lake showing that they were pinging there at the same time and so once he was finally arrested on june 20th of 2019, Detective Erica Page and Chief Renee Hall wanted to know what happened. And when they sat him down in the Dallas Police Department, what he revealed, again, completely dropped the jaws of these law enforcement agents. He shared with them that he was attracted to Chanel. He liked her. They hung out once before. They celebrated Cinco de Mayo together. They shared a few kisses, and then they kept in touch. He wanted to see where it could go, according to Ruben. And that's why he was so insistent on the meeting again. And when he reached out to her via phone just past midnight on Saturday, June 1st, 2019, for them to have a meet and greet, she, who had been also attracted to him and interested and found him to be very um, intriguing, um, he had a vehicle, he had his own place, so she felt that he was somewhat accomplished. Um, though he lived just about 30 miles east in Mesquite, um, she was definitely willing to go back again and spend some time with him. And so that's exactly what they planned to do. And so when he called, they shared a phone call for just 40 seconds, him confirming that he had made it outside of the home that she shared with roommates. She left and 
Then once they arrived to ride Rock Lake in his red Ford Explorer, they got out, sat on the picnic tables, began to talk and make out, had a little heavy petty, when Chanel, according to him, disclosed her gender identity. And when she did, he became so enraged that he began to beat her with a blunt force object, again, throughout her entire body. And then again, once she was unconscious, he placed that belt around her neck and then tossed her body into White Rock Lake, fleeing, leaving her cell phone accidentally. He did admit that he had intended to take her cell phone, but he had accidentally dropped it and felt scared to go back and return the phone. So again, he was ultimately detained and placed on a $500,000 bill, and he remained in custody until Monday, November 8th of 2021, when he began trial. Prior to that, the jury selection in his case had begun, especially once, you know, his identity had been revealed and a trial had been, um, trial date had been identified. There had been some delays due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but again, things were ready to kickstart. Chanel Lindsay, all smiles here, but her tragic story is one that'll play out in a Dallas courtroom in the coming days. Jury selection is underway right now in the trial of Ruben Alvarado, the man accused of killing Lindsay in 2019. She's one of several black transgender women murdered in Dallas that year. I think that for the family, it's going to provide a sense of closure as well as a sense of justice. Naomi Green is an advocate who also handles transgender programming for a nonprofit in Dallas. She's among those who will be following Alvarado's murder trial. Lindsay's body was found in White Rock Lake back in June 2019. Court documents show Alvarado's accused of strangling, choking, and hitting the victim with fists, a belt, and other deadly weapons. Details still tough for many to hear. It's not okay. It really reinforces that it's not okay to kill people. Uh, for whatever reason, but especially not just for being trans and living in their truth and who they are. Lindsay's case, along with Tiffany Thomas, Malaysia Booker, Mercy Mack, Coco Wortham, Kierre Cartier, and others are among those putting Dallas at the center of national attention for attacks or murders against transgender women or gender non-conforming people. Some of their names and faces are etched in my brain and in my memory. Advocates say more work needs to be done while pushing awareness and urging more allies to come forward. What message do you have, if any, uh, for those members of our community who may be waiting and watching to see what happens during this trial this week? Be patient. Let the justice system do what it is supposed to do. Understand that this is a step in the right direction. In and as you could hear, the jury selection had begun in the trial of Ruben Alvarado. At this point, he was now a 24-year-old cisgender Latino male. And the prosecutor for this trial and for this case was DA Melody Lewis. And she, you know, was very determined. You know, this was a really girl power team, of course, including uh, Gary Gambrell. But these ladies worked tireless, excuse me, tirelessly to assure the justice for our lovely Chanel Lindsay. And so when the trial began on that Monday, November 8th of 2021, Prosecutor Melody Lewis, you know, definitely laid out the fact that this was a first degree felony hateful homicide. She 
argued the fact in trial that Ruben Alvarado lured Chanel Lindsay to her death, that he had became suspicious according to some additional phone evidence. Um, Ruben had started to discuss with some of his friends that he was a little suspicious of Chanel's gender identity, and so he was going to ultimately confront her and and get, get some answers. And that is what he did. Um, that Melody Lewis, DA Melody Lewis argued was that he essentially wanted some answers and once he got those answers from Chanel, then he began to viciously attack her and then ultimately strangling her and dumping her body in White Rock Lake. So this was the argument that they were having. Um, and then you also had his defense team, which was made up of um, pro bono attorneys um, by the name of Cynthia Thomas. And so they, she argued that Ruben had a panic. He um, was distressed that this wasn't first degree murder, that it was at the very least manslaughter, that when he discovered that Chanel Lindsay was transgendered, that instead of leaving as most people would logically do, he decided to attack her because he was worried that she was going to attack him. And we've heard this before in other cases, again, this trans panic defense. And this is exactly what Ruben Alvarado was doing. He and um, attorney Cynthia Thomas, they argue that Chanel Lindsay tricked Ruben into an intimate relationship and that when he discovered her gender identity that he ultimately reacted losing all rationale and logic and resulting in you know manslaughter accidentally killing her and once he had beat her into unconsciousness he felt that he couldn't leave her life in fear of her disclosing his name right they had these series of phone calls they had these series of text messages they had been linked to a dating app so he knew that chanel knew who he was and therefore once he had attacked her in response to discovering her gender identity he was left with no choice but to ultimately strangle her and dump her body in the lake. This is what um, attorney Cynthia Thomas argued this defense uh, for Ruben Alvarado in response to the hateful homicide of Chanel Lindsay. And DA Melody Lewis, my audience, continued to hammer home with the forensic evidence, with the digital evidence. They also was able to trace CCTV footage showing you know, fortunately, Dallas is a is a city with incredible CCTV footage, like a lot of major cities, but they definitely have very clear and high-definition CCTV footage. So they had Ruben Alvarado's 2015 Ford Explorer, Red Ford Explorer, leaving the home of Chanel Lindsay. They could see it at different traffic stops, and you could see Chanel alive at that time. And you would also see them having these conversations. And then you could also, they, you know, again, Melody Lewis argued the phone evidence, the fact that Ruben had been texting with his friends that if he discovered that Chanel Lindsay was trans, that, you know, he wasn't sure what he was going to do, but he was definitely going to quote unquote teach her a lesson, meaning that he had the premeditation to hurt her if she disclosed her gender identity. And when she did, that is what he did. 
beat her into submission and then strangled her to death. And so again, this was again argued as first degree malicious murder. And so you had this jury who was now left after a two week trial, ultimately left with a decision to make. And when they made their decision, which was a decision of guilty verdict, and he was sentenced to a, a sentence of 37 years to life in the Department of Texas Corrections, he, you know, was irate. He, you know, felt that he was the victim. Um, when Chanel's family, especially her cousin Tamaya Lindsay, confronted Ruben Alvarado doing the victim impact, he wasn't remorseful. He, you know, smacked his lips. He did all of that. My audience, he was very cavalier and blase about it. As we've seen with a lot of the, you know, the convicted killers um, of these these beautiful trans and gender non-binary and gender non-conforming intersex community members that we've covered now for three seasons. And so unfortunately, Ruben, um, at this point, this 24, now 24-year-old cisgender Latino male, did not have any remorse for the hateful homicide of that of 26-year-old African-American transgender female, Chanel Lindsay. And so my audience, again, this case is just really heartbreaking because when you think of the promise that Chanel had, she wanted to go into um, to school for mechanics and, and become a mechanic. And she wanted to, you know, get into the car shows. And so all of these things were snuffed out by that Saturday, just past midnight at White Rock Lake in Dallas, Texas. And so now again, we're just gonna talk about the sentencing of Ruben Alvarado. A transgender woman after learning she was transgender will spend 37 years behind bars. Ruben Alvarado is sentenced today for strangling and beating Chanel Lindsay, then dumping her body in White Rock Lake. She was found in the water in June of 2019. Her family today testified about the pain they'll now have to carry for the rest of their lives. Fox host Stephen live in Dallas tonight. Stephen. Steve, as you mentioned, Ruben Alvarado will be sent was sentenced to nearly 40 years in prison after murdering Chanel. Lindsay back in June of 2019. One of her family members did speak in the witness him, the victim impact statements and said that she forgave him. What a choice has put you in that seat. You gotta ride that horse now. You chose to be here. You chose to deal with your demons the wrong way. More than two years after 26-year-old Chanel Lindsay's body was pulled out of White Rock Lake, the man who admitted to killing her was sentenced to 37 years in prison. Earlier this week, Ruben Alvarado testified about what happened that night in June of 2019. He says he thought Lindsay was a cisgender woman. He intended to have sex with her at White Rock Lake. But when he realized she was transgender, he says he panicked that they fought and he called her the aggressor. Court documents say Alvarado used his belt to strangle Lindsay and dumped her body in the lake. Think about how close you have to be to someone. On Wednesday, the jury came to a unanimous verdict. Alvarado faced a maximum life sentence in prison. Instead, the jury recommended 37 years. I forgive you. I know that my cousin will forgive you. Now you got to work on forgiving yourself, because if not, those demons at night are nasty. Tamaya Lindsay is Chanel's cousin. She read a letter from the victim's sister, who never got to see Chanel after she transitioned. Not only have I had to mourn the loss of my big brother, but also the sister I always wanted. 
Alvarado's defense wanted the jury to rule that he acted in sudden passion, meaning it was a crime provoked in the heat of the moment. The jury didn't buy it. The pain and hurt that my family has to carry will never diminish. Hate crimes will not be tolerated. Now, Chanel Lindsay's murder happened within weeks of another transgender woman being murdered. Now, these prompted responses from leaders in our community saying that trans women, especially black trans women, are marginalized, saying some resort to um, work, some resort to sex work to make ends meet and frequent targets of hate crimes. Now, Governor Abbott was prompted to give a response after uh, these murders, saying that he called them unacceptable. Unacceptable. According to the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, my audience, you know, this case, as we slowly get ready to conclude, um, I the last thing I'm going to share with you all um, again, you heard from Tamaya Lindsay in the courtroom as she spoke to Ruben Alvarado in that victim impact statement again. And even you could hear from Chanel's sister, who was just so devastated that she never got to really bond with Chanel as Chanel. So again, all of these hopes and dreams that they had for Chanel, all of these hopes and dreams that Chanel had for herself, are now gone in this family, the Lindsay family, the Hadwick family, all of them are now left devastated and wailing from these series of events. You know, again, we're gonna take a moment and hear a little bit more from Tamaya Lindsay, the family spokesperson and um, cousin of Chanel Lindsay. She has truly been the voice for Chanel. And again, though there has been misgendering, it is all, their way of loving again we have to remember what people are sometimes and just know that despite the misgendering that has happened that they loved Chanel that she was their family member regardless of their blood and they are devastated by this my audience and so again as you're going to hear from Chanel Lindsay she did an interview um, with MTV um, and she talked with an incredible anchor and, and, and talked really about the impact that Chanel's had, death has had on her family, but then also giving a little bit more insight into who Chanel was. What does Chanel want to be? This is going to blow you away. A mechanic. A mechanic. Damn, had a love for cars, always loved cars. Yeah. When did you find out Chanel had passed away? So... I got a call from my aunt, and the detectives called her. She said they found Chanel in White Rock Lake. And I just said, well, what happened? And all they could tell me is homicidal violence is all they would tell me. So I don't know the the reasoning for, for what happened. Every day I wonder. So when the detectives were telling me that, and I kept asking questions, and she couldn't really disclose a lot, she just is like, it's still under investigation, and it's a lot that we can't disclose. What did you learn about the manner of death? What had happened? They won't disclose it. Had you heard about any other trans murders at this time, and did you think yes. they were connected? And that's what made me nervous, but just watching the news and stuff, I kind of thought it was like a serial thing. Because they get attacked all the time, especially here in Texas. 
They're not accepted. So why do you think black trans women face this kind of violence so often? I think that people who become involved in romantic relationships don't want folks to find out because those relationships are stigmatized. And rather than coming to terms with who they are, they turn to violence. What were some of the things that made you think Chanel's murder might have been connected to Malaysia's? The reporter was telling me that, uh, that it had been a stream of um, transgendered people getting killed. She was like, you do know within the last couple of months, she's made the fourth one. In Malaysia's case, they charged someone named Kendra Lyles. Had you ever heard of that name before? And did you think that Kendrell might have been involved in Chanel's murder at all? I don't know. Who was eventually arrested and charged on the Chanel's murder? A guy named Ruben Alvarado. All I know is they have phone records. He drove almost an hour. They talked on the phone for less than two minutes. Within an hour, my cousin was in his car. What conclusion did the community come to about what was going on here? What's even more chilling about this is the idea that, no, it wasn't a serial killer. These are two unrelated murders, which means that this violence against trans women is even more widespread than the community may have thought at first. This is so sad. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, none of this. No, but people don't pay attention until it happens to them, which is it's unfortunate. And so my audience, it is unfortunate. And as you could hear, yes, there was a string and series of black trans women being murdered in Dallas, Texas for quite a few months. And all of them were by the hands of different cisgendered men. We have to remember that black trans women are the most marginalized. As a black trans woman myself, I must, must encourage each and every one of you to listen to Chanel's story and the story of so many others. We are simply trying to live our lives. And as you can see, rather it's a community member who just wants to belong like Jasmine in the beginning of today's episode, or rather it's Tamaya Lindsay who is sharing that their loved one who identified as trans is no longer here. All of these questions, all of these responses are pleas for the world to hear that enough is enough. We must do better. These beautiful beings, again, are human beings and their lives are being taken. So in conclusion, Chanel Lindsay, we remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever and always, born 1992 and resting on since June 1st of 2019. Thank you all so much, my audience, for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide just past midnight. We have about two more episodes before our season finale and before we begin um, for season four in the fall. So again, thank you all so much for just your continued support. Please check out our website at hatefulhomicide.net. Take a listen on Apple and Spotify podcasts. And again, please continue to use the hashtags A Hateful Homicide, Trans Awareness, True Crime, Say Their Name, Investigative Journalism, and Suspenseful Saturdays. Again, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and please have a good day. Bye-bye.